We've been going through a lot of different um, uh, core values. We've uh, been repeating them every week. Um, we began them in the beginning of January just to kind of articulate the values that God has on our community and in our house. And so I'm going to continue to repeat them until you are sick and tired of them, but that you actually feel that you know them and understand them. Uh, our first core value is the value of God's presence. We believe that God's presence is tangible, that you can encounter God in a real way, and that you can have an encounter with God and be an encounter out there, and, uh, and that you can take God with you, that God's presence is with you. And, and that's a core value for us in our house. Um, we don't just gather because it's a religious tradition, but we believe that we can encounter God's presence. Our second core value is prayer. We believe in the power of prayer. We believe that prayer changes things. We believe that God hears our prayers. We believe in healing prayer, and we believe that prayer is powerful. And so that's a core value of our house. We'll talk about that later in the year. We're gonna spend a certain amount of time on each core value throughout the year. Our third core value is the power of transformation. We believe that you can be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit that you can be set free from addiction, strongholds, things that are keeping you in a place of, 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 of far, far away from God. We believe that it's not just behavior modification, but that actually through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can be changed and transformed. We also believe in the power of evangelism. We believe that God has called all of us to evangelize, that uh, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit's the best evangelist. He lives inside you. And that uh, it's not just for one person on the platform to uh, speak about Jesus and ask people to invite them into their heart, but actually as you go, that you would disciple nations, that you would actually have the ability to evangelize. And uh, we're gonna share about that and how to do that and, and, um, and, and follow how the Lord's leading you in doing that. And so that's how things change in our city when we experience the presence of God, when we uh, believe in the power of prayer when we believe in the power of transformation that people could actually have hope to be transformed and we believe in evangelism. I mean, it's just an overflow of who we are. And so we're gonna continue to talk about those things. We're gonna continue to speak on those things. And so we've been talking about the presence of God the past few weeks. <clears throat> One of the things that I, I, I realized that I need to repeat myself constantly because not everyone comes to church on Sunday. I mean, you guys definitely do, but not everyone. On average, according to statistics, it's twice a month. But not you guys. I'm t I mean, I'm talking about everyone else. Um, so just in case they're streaming or something, and, th and there's faithful streamers, I thank you for being a part of our community and, and listening every week. But uh, we wanna uh, have these things instilled in us. We've been talking about the presence of God and how God's presence uh, is mostly translated in the Hebrew. The number one translation is face. That God's, God's that close, he's that near to you. He's, he's face to face with God. It's, it's not just that we're smelling his aroma or, or that he was in the room and he's not anymore and, and you just sense you know, a part of him. He's with you. And uh, his presence is that close to you. And we talked about how uh, sin and shame will make you hide from the presence of God. When you have sin and shame in your life, you don't wanna encounter God's presence because you fear his presence, but because of Christ's sacrifice, because of what he's done as the perfect spotless lamb, he's removed that sin. When we repent of our sins, when we accept Christ as our savior, he's removed that chasm between God and man, and now we can boldly enter in to all that God has for us. It's a powerful, powerful thing. And that God's presence is in community. 
that it's not just we are lone rangers uh, and we have God and we don't need anyone else. God didn't design us that way. He purposely designed his presence to be in us within community. And we actually experience the presence of God even more so in community when two or three are gathered in his name. There he is in the midst of them. His presence is all around us. And I wanted to talk about digging deeper into the presence of God. 1 Corinthians 2.10, the Apostle Paul writes to the church of Corinth. He says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. That's a capital S. That means God, the Holy Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have not received the Spirit of the world, that's a small s, but we've received, but the Spirit of God, the Spirit who is from God, capital S, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. God searches uh, the deep things of God. The Holy Spirit searches the depths of God, and the Holy Spirit is within us. God, the Holy Spirit, is within us. So the deep things of God are in you. And you have access to them. And you can actually encounter God in such a deep and real way. It does not have to be a surface-level tradition, but uh, a religious tradition, but it actually can be a full-on relationship where you can encounter God, and he can reveal things to you. In John 16, 13, Jesus writes this. He says, when, he didn't write it, he said it. When the spirit of truth comes, gotta be correct here. When the spirit of truth comes, who's that? The Holy Spirit. He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. I, uh, I believe that the Holy Spirit will bring you into all truth. Well, what's that really mean? Let's look at a quote from uh, William J. Rodman. He wrote Renewal Theology, a systematic theology from a charismatic perspective. It is a um, book I had to read for my Masters of Divinity when I was going for that. Uh, it says this, the Christian community has the guide, that's a capital G. Whenever you see a capital there, that means God, you know, the, the, the Lord, has the guide within, the teacher, as an indwelling presence, the essential matter accordingly is to allow that eternal reality, the Holy Spirit, to guide into all truth, to go deeper. The basic fact of the Holy Spirit's being the spirit of truth and dwelling within means that truth is already resident within the Christian community. You have been anointed by the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy One, and you all know the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth accordingly, means that when the spirit guides into all truth, it is actually a matter of bringing forth or eliciting what is already known. Spiritual truth is implicit and is made explicit through the internal guidance of the Holy Spirit. You need to know the truth so the Holy Spirit can reveal to you all truth as you're going through it. You have to read this word. You can't you have to have the truth in you. You actually have to know the Holy Spirit and you have to have to know the Bible. The Bible is gonna guide you into all truth. Through the, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth and this is the word of God. You can't like leave this out and just depend solely on the Holy Spirit because if, 
if there's another spirit speaking to you and you don't recognize through discernment that it's not the Holy Spirit, this is your plumb line. If the Holy Spirit, if, 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 if you know the word and you understand the character of God, well then when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, you understand that it lines with his word and you know that it's the right path to take. You need to understand the truth of the word and the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. I mean, the problem with the, our, our age is that we don't understand uh, the modern society and relevant, you know, we try to stay relevant with culture and, and as individuals. And, and if we don't read the word, we think that something that sounds good and sounds right is right, but it's not actually right because it doesn't really line up with this. And so what happens is, is that we, we actually engage society. If we don't have the word resident in us, if we don't read it, if we don't actually study it, God ends up looking like us, acting like us, doing things we would do because it sounds right. And what we do is we make, instead of looking at God and the image he shows us and reveals to us, we make God in our own image. And we make God align with what we think is right. And this actually keeps us aligned with him. The Holy Spirit is active in living in your life. And when you need to make real decisions that really, you know, it's like this... This will tell you that you need to love your neighbor and forgive those who curse you and bless those who curse you and, and all those things. But, but also, if you are walking in a, in a place where you need actual direction of something really specific, well, the Holy Spirit can teach you and can guide you and can reveal to you the right answer. He's so great in that way. God's so awesome in doing that. But we have to understand the truth and allow that to live within us so that when we move in his presence, we are moving with God and we are being a part of who God is. One of the things that I think uh, is an obstacle in encountering God is um, not really understanding our identity. Experiencing his presence, uh, a false identity gets in the way. We've taken on the identity that the world tries to give us or maybe uh, before we were uh, with God and before we were God. And so I don't think we actually understand whose we are. Who, who, who owns you? Who are you? Who, who, whose are you? Well, in John 1.12, it says this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You are a child of God. You once were an orphan. You once were lost. You once didn't have anyone who really called you their own. But when you entered in to the kingdom of God, when you received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've become adopted as heirs. You're now his child. The problem is that sometimes we maintain an orphan mentality as children. Now, I have friends who adopt children, and they're amazing people. And they would be very offended if you ever asked them, what's your real biological children's name? Like, what's your real children's name? Why? Because 
all of their children are their children. They don't see them differently. They've adopted them. That means that everything they have now is theirs. That means that they're in their care. They are their children. But sometimes when orphans are adopted, especially at a later age, they still have trouble understanding that they're no longer orphans and that they're actually children of that family. Heidi Baker, a missionary in Mozambique, uh, I was chatting with her and she was telling me a story uh, about um, how orphans, she has, mission, she has orphanages uh, through Mozambique and, and actually now through the world that, that are under her ministry. And, um, and she's also adopted many of the children from the orphanage. And she would talk about how the children who are adopted, who've been in the family and understand the family culture and know they're actually children now, no longer orphans, will behave like children. Like when they're hungry, they don't ask to go and get something from the fridge, they go and get it. When they need a glass of milk or water, they go and get it. Why? Because they recognize that they're children of the house and that milk and water is something they're allowed to access. Now, my children, I still like, you know, they think they can have all the snacks in the world. I gotta stop them from eating snacks. I don't know if, if you're ever at the stage where they're like two to seven, they're like, they just want snacks. They want snacks and they don't wanna eat meals. And so you have to say no snacks. You can't just go and get a snack because you're hungry. So you gotta kind of limit that. But, but the reality is, is the, the children who, who are, are fully understanding that they're now children will access the fridge, will access the cupboard. But she always, but she would tell me that orphans who were newly adopted and didn't quite understand the culture would always ask permission. Can I have this? And is it okay to go there? Is it okay to grab a glass of water? And they're like, yes, yes. All that, you can access water whenever you want. This is our family. All the water belongs to us. They had to explain that. Yet in our lives, we, we, we are adopted. We are now children of God, but we're still clinging on to the orphan mentality. Maybe some of the shame that we've been carrying from our past life, we still carry that. Maybe we don't realize that we can access God's presence whenever we want because he actually resides in us now. And we still treat ourselves like orphans because we don't think we deserve it, because we don't think that he really loves us that much. Now, I think that part of the problem is the goodness of God. Do we really understand the goodness of God? Now, mind you, goodness of God is everywhere. You do not have to be a Christian to see the goodness of God. That's why people think like, why do I need God? I, I can experience, you know, I can experience good things about life. I, can, I look at sunsets and sunrises. I see flowers. I see, I see children in my family. I, I don't need God. Well, they don't understand. They're actually experiencing God's goodness. See, if they were actually totally depraved of all the goodness of God, even the goodness that God gave us in this world, they would not like it. Some people describe hell as actually having God totally apart from them. Imagine being in a world or in a place where there was no God, where there was no goodness of God. That would be hell. So people feel like, well, maybe I don't really need God because I see his goodness, and, 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 so, and so they don't understand him, but goodness of God is everywhere. But when we understand that we're children of God, 
that all the, and that he is good and that he wants the best things for us, meaning we, he wants us whole, he wants us totally uh, uh, dependent on him, he wants us to live a life full of worship and praise unto him, we can ex- access his presence. Some of us don't understand, we know whose we are, we're God's children, but we don't know who we are in ourselves. It's like, you know, it's like waiting for your child to grow up. Are you still waiting for your child to grow up? My dad waited a while. I was an idiot for a long, long time. Such an idiot. Until I had to go through hard things to realize who I really was and what was possible. 1 Peter 2.9, it tells us who we are. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are a royal priesthood. We can now access God in a way that we couldn't before. Before Jesus Christ died for our sins, before there was the removal of the chasm between God and man, there was a veil that protected everyone else from the Holy of Holies. The actual uh, God's presence, his tangible presence, there was a separation between God and man. Once a year, a holy uh, priest could go, the high priest could go in with a, after the sacrifices were done and, and he could in, in, encounter God's presence. But, but they, they even had to have a bell on his robe tied with a rope tied to his leg because if he encountered God's presence and if his life wasn't right, he could die. And they would pull, they stopped hearing the bell, they'd pull him out. Imagine that. It's a weird visual. (laughs) But now, when Jesus died, it said that the veil was torn in two from top to bottom. And now we have access to his presence in a deeper way than we ever could before. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us with then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. We can now access God whenever we need to. And the, the, the thing that blows my mind personally, just in my own life, is like, why don't I do this more often? Why is my instinct, my default, to go with my natural answer and not a supernatural answer? And I'm not saying that your first instinct or your first answer to an obstacle or a problem or a conflict isn't the right answer. I'm just saying sometimes I don't check with God first. See, instead of God being uh, my main source or my first source, he ends up being like the third or fourth option sometimes in in engaging in him in his presence. Sometimes we we think that God's presence will make us so abnormal that we're just scared to engage in it. You know, I, I I talked about this before. My first charismatic worship service, I was like, standing in the back and I was judging it and I was like, that's not God. That's not God. That's definitely not God. That might be God, but I'm not sure. (laughs) And the Lord spoke to me and he said, the whole time you've been judging this worship, you haven't worshiped me once. 
I said, you're right, God. I haven't. He said, did I ask you to judge their hearts? Did I ask you to figure out whether they were authentic or not? Did I make that your job? He said, no, you didn't. He said, don't worry about how you worship. Don't worry about how they worship. Just worry about how you worship. It's like, okay. <laughs> so when they were shaking and rolling, rattling and rolling on the floor, I just said, well, that's them, but this is me. <laughs> Jesus, I'm not gonna make myself do that. If you want to, fine. See, there's this deceit of normal. There's this deception of what normal is and who normal is and, and what normal people look like. And honestly, I haven't found a normal person yet. <laughs> I haven't found one. I've been looking. I found out I wasn't normal. If you want to find abnormal people, just become a pastor. You'll find real quick, there's nobody normal. It's nobody. They might look like you, they might walk like you, they might wear the same shoes like you, it doesn't matter. You sit down, you find out, they're not normal. It's like, oh, you're different too. There's this deception of what normal might look like. I've really never found a normal person. I, I found people who are broken, and I found people who are whole. I found people who are immature, and I found people who are mature. I found people who walk in the, new, in the natural and people who also walk in the supernatural. But I haven't found normal yet. The presence of God will go with you wherever you are. I remember being in the desert land of my life in, in a sense where I didn't have much. You know, oftentimes we think that if we, have, if we have all these other things going for us, it'll be a great time or I'll have a great life. And, and, uh, and I, I know like, you know, I don't particularly think that any of my messages are necessarily good messages or great messages. And I actually don't really expect to try to perform a great message for you. Because if, if it's a great message, if I woo you and wow you and make you feel all fuzzy inside, but we don't have the presence of God, who cares? Who really cares? I could have a stinky old message that isn't very good, but if God shows up, if his presence is here, man, it makes all the difference. You could have everything in the world, you could have the whole world, and if you don't have God's presence, what does it really ever matter? I remember sleeping in my car, a season in my life where I had to sleep in my vehicle in Pennsylvania, thank God it was spring, summertime. Not having anything, feeling like my family was taken, not, a, not able to make the money I needed to, and, and, and wondering, you know, like, I wonder if my friend will let me take a shower at their house tomorrow, or I'm going to have to go to Planet Fitness and take a shower. You know, all those things. I have to pretend I'm working out, then go take a shower. All those things. But I was so happy. You know Why? because I was experiencing God's presence like never before. It's like those were the glory days. I was totally dependent on him. And I felt like I had everything in the back of my car, going to sleep, put with a smile on my face because I knew that God was with me and that's all I needed. 
God's presence is with you in that desert land. He's also with you in the promised land. You might be in the pinnacle of the height of your life. You might have all the success. You might have all the tangible things that you would ever hope or ever want to have. And if you don't have God's presence, it'll never satisfy. It'll never fill you. God's presence is something that you need to carry It's not not like in the desert he increases his presence and in the promised land he decreases his presence. Oftentimes, it's just that we are no longer dependent on him and so we actually don't go to him as our first need. We don't actually engage his presence in a powerful way. His presence is actually all around us. Psalm 139 is a beautiful psalm. I love to read that psalm and I encourage you to read most of it, uh, read all of it, in your time, but right for, for time's sake, we're just gonna read Psalm 139, seven through 10. It says this. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which is like hell, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even then, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. God's presence is all around you. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you've accepted him as your savior. The spirit of Christ dwells within you. The Holy Spirit is within you, and his presence is surrounding you. And if you can engage him on a daily and minute-by-minute basis, like Brother Lawrence mentioned in his book from a long time ago, it's an old book, it's called Practicing the Presence of God. It's like while you're doing the dishes, you're encountering God. You're saying, God, I know you're here and speak to me, Lord. I'm your child. I know you're my father. I wanna engage who you are. God, I'm in a situation where I need wisdom. You know, I was talking to one of our congregants and I'll keep her anonymous because I didn't want, I, I, you know, I asked her permission to share it, but, but she, she was telling me her story and how God showed up so powerfully in her life. She uh, needed to make money and she was uh, getting up super early. She was working for Sandia Labs and, and she was, uh, her job was like to clean these clean rooms. Now these clean rooms are like so many particles per thousands of particles and so it's like where they make special chips and things of that nature. And, and she's like, God, I don't wanna just clean these clean rooms. I wanna, I wanna be able to work in these clean rooms. And she, the, the highest education she had is a high school education. She doesn't deserve to, clean, to work in those clean rooms according to their standards. But by her testimony, through the grace of God, through door after door being opened up or God telling her, you better kick down that door. Visiting a, a, a class one time and then being able to audit that class and gain some knowledge and then, and then being able to use it. Now, she doesn't clean the clean rooms. She works at the lab in the clean rooms. You know, with God, all things are possible. And stop trying to put parameters on God's presence and what he can do in your life. Wouldn't you just go to him first? If he's actually your source, if he's everything to you, if he, if he actually all-knowing, all-powerful, and you're his child, whether as a community, when we're worshiping and asking God's presence to fill this place, or 
even by yourself, King. God, I don't know the next way to go, but I know you're with me. Would you share it with me? Would you help me? Would you guide me into all truth? Will you trust him that he'll do that? Why don't you stand? I wanna give us a little bit of time experiencing God's presence. You can experience God's presence in worship, and I, I believe that happens. He inhabits the praises of his people. When we lift up his name, he blesses us with his presence. I believe that God's presence is something you can experience. It's not just a theory. It's not just a metaphor. But you can actually engage in who he is and experience him. He's not in a far off land somewhere. He's right here. He's with you. And if you think that it's just by your feelings, break that. We're not called feelers, we're called believers. It's not in what we feel that we encounter God's presence. It's by faith that we access this. And so we wanna encounter him through faith and sometimes feelings come. Sometimes joy rises up in the pit of your stomach. You haven't had joy forever and the presence of God blesses you with joy and you just can't help but just laugh and enjoy his presence. Sometimes it's like this compassion comes over you and you just weep. This great gratitude comes over you. Sometimes it's this peace in, in the midst of chaos. Sometimes it's just waiting on him. So just, you know, we, we say sometimes, lift up your hands or hold out your hands. Why? Is it like your hands have portals in them? No. Okay, it's not. They're your hands. Okay. Why do we lift up our hands? Well, for, for generations in the Hebrew culture, even as a sign of praise and worship, it was, they would lift up their hands like this. But, but also, it's a sign of surrender. Actually, getting on your knees and lifting up your hands is the most vulnerable position anyone could ever put themselves in. And when you do that to God, like back in the day when they would surrender, they would get on their knees and lift up their hands. When they did that, they were putting themselves in the most vulnerable position because anyone who wanted to strike them down could do it without them having enough time to react. The reality is, is when we lift up our hands as a sign of praise and worship to the Lord, we're also showing a sign of surrender. And saying, God, just have your way. Inhabit, soul inhabitation, you and me and I and you. So I invite you to lift up your hands. Close your eyes. Lord, I just thank you that your presence is here. I thank you that we can access this by faith. I thank you that we are sons and daughters of God. Father, I pray that you break off shame. Pray that you break off old orphan thinking, saying that we're not worthy of it, saying that we can't access you. Lord, we believe that you're in us. We believe that your presence is with us. God, we believe that you are the source of all truth. Holy Spirit, as we read your word, would you remind us of the truth in your word? Holy Spirit, would you also help us with our decisions? Holy Spirit, may you be our default browser. When we search, may it be in you, because you have the answers. 
you have the best search engine results. Jesus, come, have your way. God, I ask that you would increase your anointing in this room, increase your presence. May we trust you. And like that song said, may we know you, may we really know you. So Lord, we bless this day, we give it to you. God, bless our time as family. May we see your goodness. May you give us eyes to see your goodness as we are with our family today or wherever we're going. When we see the sun, may we say thank you, God, for your goodness. May when we see the birds, may we say thank you for your goodness. When we see our children, may we say thank you for your goodness. When we see the breath in our lungs, thank you for your goodness, God. Help us recognize your goodness. And Lord, help us to continue to be a community tight-knitted together where we love one another, where we depend on one another, where we experience your presence together. Because I know, just like the people of Israel, you are taking this community of Albuquerque to a place that's a promise. And so we kind of come into agreement with that in Jesus' name, amen. We wanna bless you guys. We wanna open up these altars here. Come on, let's give Jesus praise. Let's give him. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. We wanna open up the altars. Our prayer ministry team, you can come forward if you wanna pray for people we'd love. We wanna pray for you if you need healing, if you're going through something, if you just want someone to believe with you. We wanna do that. We do that as a family. So come and get some prayer. Uh, if you're new here, you wanna talk to someone, I believe we'll have someone at the Resource Center They can talk to you. Other than that, I'll see you guys next week. Enjoy anything you're doing today. If you're gonna do that ungodly Super Bowl thing, then uh, just kidding. Just enjoy, enjoy the day. Bless you guys, we'll see you next week. I'll be here next week too, so see you then.